Hello everyone, it's Thursday the 5th of October and welcome to episode 175 of the Kite Podcast with me, Ben Eagle. No will today as he's off to the Farmers Weekly Awards. Becky's tried to get some, in fact, Becky, you nearly had a ticket, didn't you? Yeah, and I, I wasn't even invited, sadly. But, um, me neither. Uh, oh, oh, Chris, maybe next time we'll go together. Uh, so this week on the show, even though we don't have Will, we are speaking to two women who are taking the agricultural communication space by storm in the US. Tara van der Dussen and Natalie Kovrick are co-hosts of the Discover Ag podcast, which sets out to discuss agriculture you could relate to, connect listeners with farmers and explore the food system. Natalie's from the heart of Nebraska, and as well as podcasting with her husband, she runs and owns Covert Cattle Company. Uh, Tara is a dairy farmer and environmental consultant from New Mexico, and together they founded Elevate Ag, which helps producers to tell their story online, and they also started the Discover Ag podcast, which of course we're going to talk about mostly today. Uh, we're also joined today by our podcast producer and senior consultant at Kite, Becky Leach, and as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's start with you, Milk Market Report time. Where are you this week? Well, welcome to our two new friends from the good old US of A. And I so wish I was there. I love the US, mostly. (laughs) Your landscapes, your road, your people, well, most of them, and especially your diet, steak, chicken, donuts, and Bud Light. Actually, better not mention Bud Light. And aren't your politicians just amazing? They're all sensible, law-abiding citizens without a hint of controversy or corruption surrounding them. Not like our cretins. But I'm not bringing you my report from the US today. I'm bringing you it from an old people's home in Australia, believe it or not. And no, John hasn't relocated there from his retirement home. At least I don't think he has. It's because a two-year study conducted in Australia where 7,000 people in 30 care homes were given an increased intake of dairy found the change was associated with a near 50% reduced risk for bone fracture when people fall A over T. So this is, of course, excellent news for John and for you, Becky, I might add, when you're out on the table of gin and tottering on your big heels. But not only that, there's more. Other new research this week has shown that eating cheese may help reduce the risk of cognitive decline. So this is also excellent news for John. That is great news. Excellent news, isn't it? Uh, Except it's probably a bit late for John. So cheese makes you brainy. Who'd have thought it? And since you eat a lot, Ben, we'll see you on Mastermind soon. Not sure about that. On those positive notes, there's also more positivity in the dairy markets. The GDT was up. For a third event this week, and by an impressive 4.4%. So that's a hat trick of gains for sellers to celebrate at last. We've 
got to go back to early 2022 for the last time we had a hat trick. So the average price crossed the $3,100 for the first time since August, with Arla's skin powder over $2,600. The first time it's been over that since June. And the GDT commodities convert into an approximate UK milk price of 29p. Uh, yeah, in Europe, Dutch butter put on a monster spurt of 200 euros to 4,750. So that's also at its highest price since June. Uh, skim powder increased by another 100 euros to 2,400 euros. So the combination again converts to around 29 pence. And for our US guests, I reckon that's $17 to $18 per hundredweight. I think that's about right. I think your latest prices are around $19 to $20 per hundredweight. And for those who don't know what a hundredweight is, that's most people in the UK. At one 100 weight equates to 50 kilograms. And if you still can't picture it, there are 300 weights to one Becky. Uh, moving on very quickly indeed on that front <laughs> on the futures <laughs> I we're not going to have your job soon right Chris sorry what you say Ben <laughs> you're not going to lose your job soon <laughs> <laughs> on the futures well another great week EU butter futures have also continued to increase and are up by an average of 50 euros across the next six months compared to two weeks ago and by 400 euros over the month. So the average is now creeping towards 5,000 euros and for quarter one, they're well over that now, well over 5,100 in fact. Same story for New Zealand and skim powder has also got in on the positivity act as well. Uh, so October to December contracts convert to over 30 pence now quarter one next year to over 34 pence so good news things are moving in the right direction uh, cream continues to be strong and get this it's now at one pound 80 to one pound 85 uh, the last time it was this high was back in December Cheese is better for Gouda and mozzarella, which continue to strengthen. But it's a disaster for cheddar, which is down again this week to as low as 3150 sterling for some parcels and even lower for Irish. Uh, dreadful prices. They haven't been this low for two years. However, those rising Gouda and curd prices could lift mild cheddar eventually. But there's a lot of stock to get through first. And spot milk is still in the mid to high 30 pence range. And finally, may I, on behalf of this podcast, wish somebody who will remain nameless, but who knows who she is, all the best for a speedy recovery from some quite dramatic surgery this week. And while I'm on it, all the best to everyone out there who is facing or recovering from quite dramatic surgery too. 
or looking after people that have had it. If I was with Becky right now, I know I'd be looking for some new teeth and some big surgery to go with it. So a speedy recovery to everyone. Goodbye. Yeah, you're very lucky we're recording this over Zoom, not face-to-face, Chris Walkland. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for that mostly very positive report, positive way to start the show. Thank you very much. Tara, Natalie, um, welcome to the Kite Podcast. Um, Tara, let's turn to you first of all. Introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'm Tara. As you mentioned, I dairy farm with my husband in New Mexico. I uh, actually got my degree in environmental science. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm, but ultimately kind of went in a different direction when I got my degree and uh, have been working as an environmental consultant on dairy farms throughout the Southwest for about the last decade. And as I was doing that, I ultimately um, decided to kind of start sharing online on social media, as you know, lots of farmers have been doing over the last several years. And that has been such an incredible experience. It's opened so many doors and introduced me to so many different people, including Natalie, who ultimately I partnered with on our Discover Ag podcast, where we kind of cover the trending news articles in the ag and food space from mostly United States, but also from around the world. We've touched on, you know, Ireland and New Zealand, things happening in the UK as well. Um, and so I'll let Natalie jump in and introduce herself as too. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having us. I have to say, Chris, you uh, might, you know, have a guest appearance on the Discover Ag podcast. You <laughs> add quite the flair no, no, to no, our... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, as you mentioned, I cattle ranch in Nebraska. I, I, like Tara, grew up in agriculture. I actually grew up on a cattle ranch in Southwest Montana, and I ended up relocating to Nebraska when I married my husband. Like Tara, I too started sharing online for a little bit different of a reason. I actually started a direct-to-consumer beef business originally and was using social media to help market our product and get, you know, strangers to buy beef from someone they don't know online. And that's where I really uh, recognize kind of the power of social media as a marketing tool and also in sharing your story, uh, specifically to us in agriculture, when we have such kind of unique and great story to share and kind of we're at a point in um, society where I'd say it is important that we're sharing. And like Tara alluded to, uh, that online space, we were two females kind of sharing about agriculture, maybe a little bit before a lot of others were. So we connected really early on and we just formed a fast friendship online and then also offline, which um, both led to the creation of our podcast, Discover Ag. Hey, who reached out to who? How did that start? Oh, gosh, I don't even remember. We were in like a women in ag group where someone else, I think, reached out to both of us. And then we ultimately just kind of started, you know, like Natalie said, connecting offline or outside of that group. And then um, I don't know, you know, I feel like as millennial friendships online do, like we ultimately met in person and then decided to start a business together. I'm not going to lie. When I came home from meeting Natalie the first time and told my husband I was like quitting my job and starting a company, uh, you know, with a stranger I met on the Internet, it was uh a little bit of an awkward conversation, but here we are a couple of years later and it, you know, has, has really turned into something quite incredible. The idea for Discover Ag then, did it come to you quite quickly then when you started talking? Yeah, as you mentioned, we actually created a different business first, Elevate Ag, and that really pig- piggybacked off of what our community was kind of directly asking us for. We would get you know, field quite a lot of questions about how, you know, maybe Tara professionally speaks a lot, you know, how we do that. Maybe it was how we were monetizing like brand partnerships or just, you know, how we were, um, you know, utilizing the social media space to, you know, advocate for the industry, but also ourselves. And so in a way to kind of 
instead of answering individual questions all the time, we compiled it together into that online course and created that course and community for producers to be able to ultimately buy um, instructional, you know, like videos or modules. Through that, actually, Discover Ag was kind of born because, you know, we started a podcast to pair with that, that online course. And we realized that, well, you know, we may have had the expertise to speak on, you know, social media sharing. What we really missed was talking about what we originally got into social media for, which was kind of advocating for the industry and just having kind of more in-depth conversations about different things going on in agriculture. And so I think kind of veering off the path really brought us back home to like our original core mission. And so that's when we decided to kind of rebrand our podcast and and go all in, um, you know, instead of kind of on the social media sharing side, more on, you know, using our voices to kind of lend um, them to like a unique kind of different perspective to the ag industry. And for anyone who hasn't listened um, already, what's Discover Ag all about? What what can they what can they sort of find out? What can they discover? I suppose. <laughs> yeah, there's all sorts of things to discover over there. Uh, we tried to pick the top three trending news articles in the ag and food space. Uh, just you know, we always see these headlines, right? Like we live in a world that is just headlines and no nuanced conversation. And so we try to, you know, a lot of times we get sent things from our community and our audience, and we'll see like a reoccurring trend where something is coming up again and again, or we're seeing a headline in the news again and again. And we will take that and really like go in and kind of research it, have some fun with it. There's um, you know, a lot of uh very, I feel like pop culture references within there. Um, we try to like the headline said, we know we try to make ag relatable where you want to dive into it, you want to learn more and just kind of give um, all of these different headlines a perspective from a rancher and a farmer. I think a lot of times that's missing, even in conversations around food and ag. Uh, we've covered stories where, you know, they're talking about how climate change is impacting, you know, peach farmers and they don't interview a single peach farmer. And so we try to kind of bring some of that dialogue to the conversation. Um, And then, like I said, it's, you know, outside of the United States as well, you know, something's happening. We've seen a lot happening over in, you know, the EU, um, specifically in Ireland and kind of covering those topics as well and bringing that to our audience. I was just going to say it's so complex and nuanced, isn't it? Agriculture and farming and, you know, especially the interaction with other industries. We, We find a lot of the same over here and you know would do a fair bit of that with the kite podcast as well in terms of trying to you know pick up the the detail of the discussion and the bit that you know the 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 gray bit around the edge of the black and white if that makes sense oh definitely and i think that's why tara and i realized uh discover was was meant to be in the podcasting space you know her and i had been sharing on instagram and different social media platforms for you know a couple years before um we went into the podcasting space but all the other platforms are getting shorter and shorter, right? Like how much can you fit into a nine second reel? How much can you fit into a 15 second story? And on all the conversations and topics we wanted to cover required, like you said, a lot more nuance and a lot more depth. And so it's been really liberating and exciting to be able to be on the podcasting space where you can have like an hour of someone's time and you can kind of dive a little bit deeper into the weeds and mine some of those conversations a little bit deeper than you can on other social media platforms. Is your podcasting audience similar or sort of the same as your social media audience or are you talking to slightly different people oh that's such a good question um i think originally it was similar because it was where we were promoting our podcast 
obviously was on our social media platforms, but I think it has obviously like taken off and has a life of its own now outside of our social media accounts. And uh, so it's definitely a diverse audience. Um, I'm always surprised at how many male listeners we have. I feel like two millennial women talking, I would assume it would be mostly um, women. And, um, you know, we have a, a lot of uh, male listeners and, and we have a lot of allied industry to agriculture. So maybe not necessarily like the farmers and ranchers, while we do have a lot of that. It's also people that are kind of like ag adjacent, that maybe they work for a PR firm that, that so they have no connection to ag, but now they are representing an ag brand. Um, and so I feel like we're, we're seeing a lot of that of people who, um, are kind of on the outskirts of ag, but wanting to like find out more. What's the ambition with it? Um, good question. I was going to say, I think the unique thing, and this kind of leads into like, you know, our mission or why we created it is that Discover Ag truly does have a little bit for everyone, which I think is um, usually unique because a lot of marketing, you would say like, if you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one, right? Like the more you can niche down and be a little bit more specific, the better you can better relate to like your target audience. But what I found is like agriculture is such a, diverse industry, right? Just because I raise cattle in Nebraska doesn't necessarily mean or know, you know, that I know much about what's going on with like the, you know, peaches in Florida or, you know, peanuts in Alabama. So I feel like people in agriculture are really interested in it because they do get the perspective and they do get to um, learn more about um, the agriculture industry as a whole, which we just don't get exposed to. Um, So I feel like it really does appeal to people within the industry. And then um, obviously, if you're outside the industry, a lot of the topics, you know, food is such an integral part to our everyday lives. And so I do think we're having a more consumer, um, curious consumer um, coming out of um, COVID. They just, I feel like they want to know a little bit more about their food. And so we try and pick topics that, you know, aren't necessarily like super deep into agriculture would be over the head of, you know, someone tuning in from outside of it. And so I do think there's a lot of appeal from like Tara said, kind of the allied industry and even now starting to rippling into people who are just completely removed from it because um, they're realizing that like, you know, they do have these questions and this is kind of a fun, entertaining, yet informative place to get it, which is ultimately um, what you asked. Our mission is really just to kind of reconnect people back to the food system in kind of like a more fun and unique way. I think there's a lot of stereotypes about agriculture. I think agriculture can sometimes be presented in a way that's maybe a little heavy or a little boring or just a little in a way that, you know, the average everyday consumer isn't maybe necessarily interested in listening to it. And so by kind of tweaking it and giving it, like Tara said, kind of our female millennial perspective, I do feel like it's a little bit more of an inviting space where people can be reminded that there's like a face behind their food um, and then also pick up some information along the way. You know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times two females, you know, millennial, which now makes me feel massively out of my depth. <laughs> female millennial professional podcasters. Oh, I think uh, you, you might be my new idols. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, do, do you think that that makes a difference that you are two females? Do you think that widens the audience or do you think in some respects it turns people off? You know, one of the things that we're really grappling with over in the UK at the moment is sort of, diversity in agriculture and you know w- females have been represented in agriculture for quite a long time and you know especially you go back to the land army, land army and um that sort of era but it sort of moved away and and you know how we widen out diversity I just wondered what your feeling was with your audience about whether it's a help or a hindrance yeah I think it's a help I mentioned kind of like that we weave in some 
pop culture a little bit. And I think there, I mean, I feel like we live in a world where people are so connected through social media and, and really into, you know, different facets of our culture. And so we try to weave that into the podcast and weave that into agriculture. And that I think is the piece that makes it where we can connect with people a little bit easier. Um, I do think that there's been a, you know, a shift in agriculture. We've seen it here in the United States. And I feel like others have it. You kind of mentioned it, that we're kind of like coming back around and, and we're having more and more women involved in agriculture, more women who are the sole owner of the farm, who are the farmer and not necessarily just the farmer's wife. Um, And so I think as we see that shift, it is really important. And, And even online, we've seen it that a lot of the women or a lot of the farmers that are sharing are women. It's who wants to be out there connecting with people. It's the people, you know, women, I feel like this is a generalization, but like storytelling, like connecting, like, you know, reaching out. And so I feel like that's a role that's been filled by a lot of the women farmers. Um, And so it's kind of been cool to see that happen over the last decade or so. Do you think that'll have an impact on new entrants and people sort of attracting other people into the industry? Absolutely. We actually did a personal podcast Uh, once a month. We do just like where Natalie and I talk about kind of like life things that are going on. And um, we talked about this exact thing. I feel like when I was a little girl, I didn't necessarily see a like physical representation of myself on my farm. It wasn't that my parents discouraged me from, you know, going into dairy farming or going into agriculture. It just was that there wasn't a lot of women represented on the farm. And so when you're thinking about what degree to get and you don't see women in ag, you don't automatically think about getting a degree or, or pursuing a career. And so that was something for me that, um, you know, I hope future generations see more women represented in agriculture. Can I ask, can I just change the subject a bit and ask no, what, Chris. The state, <laughs> what the state of U.S. agriculture is right now? I mean, is it in good health or or is it struggling? Are the farmers happy? Well, that's a bit of a stupid comment, really, because farmers are <laughs> You know, what is the state of U.S. agriculture in general? I was going to say I could speak for the beef industry specifically um, and then maybe talking about for dairy and then we could, you know, try and give an overall of you know, the whole nation. Um, but the beef industry, you know, we are at a um, when it comes to a you know financial look at agriculture, we are, um, you know, in a better position in our industry than we have been in quite a while. And so I think um, a lot of ranchers are. Um, you know, excited about that from the financial side. You know, a lot of us have been experiencing a pretty severe drought, though, depending on where you're at in the U.S. And so I think that has been pretty hard, you know, on the beef industry specifically. Um, but I feel like overall, uh, the ag industry in the U.S. is like, I would say, um, doing well or, you know, in a, in a better position probably than we have been in, in some places historically. Yeah, I feel like in the United States, you know, we have such a broad um, landscape, like physically. Um, And so, you know, there's just so many variations between one place to another place, Um, you know, with dairy. Uh, our milk price right now is not great, but beef prices are really strong. So we're doing well with that. Um, And then as Natalie mentioned, you know, the drought is really affecting the West. uh, But then, you know, farmers obviously kind of east of the Mississippi are not experiencing that in the same degree. Um, So it really just like varies, I feel like from region to region, what's going on. Um, But I think there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, There's a lot of growth. I know within dairy, we've had some really great export growth, uh, which has been fun to see over the last about five years. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very diverse landscape. Um, the beef, you say the beef sector is doing well, which has got positives for the dairy industry. 
Are your consumers like ours being told to go plant-based and eat only vegetarian and vegan food? I mean, I'm, I'm a complete vegan. There's nothing better than a cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a very funny meme once that said, imagine being a vegetarian and coming home from a late night at the bar and you're happy to eat celery sticks <laughs> instead of, you know, like chicken wings or something. Um, but yeah, we actually have faced that quite a bit, I would say, in the last five to 10 years. Um, I think social media played a pretty large role in that. I think kind of the wellness space, I would say, like latched on to the idea that, you know, plant-based was good and whole and better and healthier. And that kind of really spread like rapid fire through the wellness community and, you know, different um, like wellness influencers online. And I feel like it had a pretty big sway. I will say, I think the pendulum has tipped a little bit and we're coming out of that. There's um, honestly, it's probably gone to the other side of the extreme where now we're seeing a lot of like carnivore based diets being promoted here in the US. And so it's gone a little bit, you know, from one end of extremes to the other end. But I do think we're coming out of that realization that maybe, you know, a sole plant based diet. Um, isn't the healthiest thing or um, isn't also the best for the environment. And so it's been really great to see that. But I will say, you know, this is something we've covered on our podcast before, you know, there still are places like New York City that are mandating like uh, plant-based Monday meals for um, school kids and they're doing it in hospitals, you know, they're doing it in prisons. So I, I still think we have like policy up against us a little bit that we need to like keep our, you know, fingers on the pulse of as an industry. But from the environmental sort of point of view, so, I mean, obviously in, in you speak to farmers in New Zealand, Ireland, over here. I mean, the, the, the environment debate is, is is really prominent. But from the farmers you speak to in the States, what's your feeling on the ground in terms of what's important for them, but also what the pressures are? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like um, sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of a lag between the United States and maybe some of the other countries that you mentioned. So I always say that, you know, when we're looking at the EU or New Zealand or what's happening in Ireland, like it's a little bit writing on the wall for the United States. Like we need to be paying attention to what's going on because it's kind of coming down the pipeline for us. Um, I think the one of the issues with the entire environment conversation around cattle is like this nuance that we we're talking about. People want to make it like very black and white, like, oh, stop eating meat and you will save the planet. Fix, check, check the box. Like that's all you have to do. And there's so much more to that conversation, you know, talking about the landscapes. I mean, you know, here in the United States, I, I mentioned the diversity. I mean, what you're looking at in the South is nothing going to be like where you're at with Natalie or down here where I'm at. And so cattle can play such an important role in so many different types of landscapes landscapes um, that I think we have to bring that more to these conversations. And I think that ag overall is doing a better job. Um, you know, I'm one of the ambassadors for the global dairy platform and it's, that's very new for me, but it's been fascinating to see kind of, you know, dairy coming together on a global scale to say, how do we have a better conversation? Like, let's not just make it, you know, Ireland's dairy farmers and the United States dairy farmers or the UK's like, let's be together coming to the table to have these conversations. And, and I think that's crucial as we have to be at the table. Uh, I heard a quote at the UN uh, FAO when I was there in May, and it was, if you're not at the table, you're not on the table. And I, that has stuck with me that like, we have to be having these conversations to make sure that like meat and dairy are a part of our diets that they're served on the table. And, and on a sort of on the ground basis, I mean, you're, you work as an environmental consultant. So how are you working with clients? What are you actually doing on the ground? Yeah. So for me, it uh, is very client specific. And so I feel like my goal whenever I was consulting has always been to kind of have like three areas that we wanted to work on throughout the year, like three priorities. It was like, how are we going to make this like slightly better? And it really depended on each client, uh, what they had going on, whether that was, you know, reducing water use, um, implementing, you know, 
uh, different practices for their effluent coming out of their barn, going out onto the crops. Um, and so I, there's so many different things. And I feel like it is so region dependent in the south. We are southwest where we're at. We're trying to reduce water use. So uh, more water efficient crops, drought tolerant crops, uh, you know, different varieties of crops that can handle kind of what kind of extreme weather cases we're having. Um, and so a number of different things to be able to work on, um, you know, and then there's the big projects, right? Like people installing uh, digesters and, you know, on our dairy, we currently are installing a solar farm. So our barns will be completely solar powered powered uh, in the future. And so there's there's a lot of options for uh, what you can do to kind of be you know, implementing new environmental practices. And it's a really good climate for that right now. Uh, in the United States, you know, politics kind of aside, there's a lot of money out there to be had for kind of these greener initiatives. It's kind of figuring out which ones actually make sense for your farm and for the long term. Yeah. And and in your states, in, in New Mexico and, and in Nebraska, what are the big challenges? What What, what are you sort of mainly concerned about? Yeah, I can start and Natalie can jump in. I think our biggest concern is water. Water. Uh, we are definitely running out of water here in New Mexico, and we're on the very edge of our aquifer, uh, which happens to be actually the same aquifer that Natalie's on up there in Nebraska. And so our groundwater is definitely uh, diminishing in our area, which makes it very challenging, obviously, to grow crops uh, to feed cattle. Yeah, and then here in Nebraska, we were part of... Um the the portion of the US that was in the drought um we were definitely not as severe you know and, you know on the zone scale as some areas um but we were definitely concerned at a certain period so i think uh you know for our us and our operation it was definitely like grazing management practices and you know um how can we make sure that like grass is carrying us over properly and just like really honing in on our um like i guess uh feeding grazing um practices I was um, I was at the Hoover Dam in 2019, and it was frighteningly low looking then. There's been quite a lot of rain over last winter, wasn't there? Has it improved at all? And has it improved to such an extent that those wicked almond farmers who grow their wicked almonds to make yuck drink <laughs> are constrained by what they can uh, produce? Or hasn't it hit that? that far just yet uh tell us how you really feel chris about almond <laughs> beverage <laughs> i actually flew over the hoover dam uh yesterday afternoon and um you know a lot of those lakes are looking better a lot that's like again a generalization some are really struggling um california did receive a lot of rain and they've had you know their reservoirs refilled um as far as some of the farmers out there you know it's um i feel like it's not always as simple as just getting rain right uh, a lot of areas in california were flooded it severely impact a lot of the vegetable uh, growers last year because of those flooding in those fields. Um, and then for, you know, the almond growers, a lot of them are actually being affected by their water rights of how much they're actually allowed to continue to pump or to pull um, from surface water and, you know, regulations of how much has to go into the ocean and is not utilized. And so even though they received some rain and I think they had some reprieve, uh, I don't know that the problem is like, quote unquote, solved yet um, for as much as and, and that's not just almonds. That's, you know, across the board. I mean, you think about the, the San Joaquin Valley there in California, I mean, a lot of our produce, our uh, fruits and vegetables are coming from that area. And so it's, you know, obviously impacting all of them slightly different. 
And going back to your previous question about kind of the landscape of agriculture in the U.S., I do feel like California is probably one state that maybe wouldn't answer um, as positively as Tara and I did. You know, I'm in Nebraska. Our slogan is literally the beef state. And so we have a lot of policy um, and a lot of people in government that are like advocating for the agriculture industry. Uh, I would not say that's exactly the same, you know, for residents and farmers and producers in California. I do think policy, they're up quite against a steep hill when it comes to that state and what uh, government is kind of issuing them and mandating them and like kind of changing for them. This is on coming on the Discover Ag podcast. Have you, you've seen his full repertoire, so he can do yeah. dairy market analysis. He's a weatherman, you know, all the skills. Oh, see, I really, I really don't think the States is ready for this yet. <laughs> no, I don't, no, I don't think we're ready for it. We don't, we're a hundred odd episodes in. <laughs> Uh, let's bring this back to podcasting. Um, so agricultural podcasts themselves, I mean, in, in the States, uh, how popular are they? I mean, it's, it's quite a difficult thing to say, really, I suppose. But And how do we how do we sort of increase that audience, I suppose, of ag podcasts, asking for a friend? <laughs> I feel like ag podcasts in the last six months have exploded. I mean, I feel like there is so many. I think the podcasting area in general is just taking off people. I mean, every time I get on Instagram, which I know the algorithm like feeds you what you want to see, but I feel like um, I'm seeing constantly like how to use podcasting in real estate, how to use podcasting in, you know, I mean, every single piece of the market. And so ag is no different than people are kind of jumping on there. And I think that it depends who you're, you're trying to get. I think a lot of podcast audiences want people within agriculture. Um, I do think that's something that's maybe slightly different with Discover Ag. It's not that we don't want people within ag, but we also want to reach outside of ag. And I think when you reach outside of ag, obviously it broadens like your audience of who your target audience is. Um, but yeah, I think that we're seeing even more people come to the podcasting space as this you know, explosion of podcast happens. So that is also widening our audience of who is, you know, now consuming podcasts. Like that number is growing. How many um, hours a week people are spending listening to podcasts is growing. So I think it's a really exciting space to kind of be in as we see, like, it's just such a new platform when you really think about it, that really there's a lot of opportunity for growth in my mind. It leads back to the conversation that we had earlier as well, doesn't it? About, um, you know, for, for a long time, we didn't have a voice. You know, agriculture, or certainly in the UK, agriculture didn't have a voice. And when we did have a voice, we got shouted down very quickly by the general public. And this swing, you know, to plant-based and and what feels like away from plant-based, and certainly the sales figures in the UK are suggesting people are, are moving away from those products. You know, actually, I wonder if that's just because a few more of us have found our voice, you know, and, and talking to the consumer. There's a big push over in the UK, not necessarily podcasts but um you know big push in the uk for consumer education and we have open farm sunday which is sort of a national day where lots of farms open their doors and and are supported with various allied industry to do so um our red tractor assurance um or sorry some of the standards that um like processor standards ask people to get engaged with the general public because ultimately if we want to sell agricultural products to consumers we we probably need to give them a story that they feel comfortable and safe with. Yeah, I've always said that agriculture does not have a product problem. We have a marketing problem. Uh, you know, we figured out a product that people need, by golly, um, but we haven't always maybe delivered it in the best way or maybe even like you mentioned, delivered it at all. And so, yeah, it is exciting. I do think there's been a push from, you know, uh, maybe individuals themselves in the industry, but also maybe like organizations um, for, to work for um, individuals to share their story. That's something Tara and I actually both speak on professionally is kind of the importance of sharing your story and what that can do. I think it's pretty incredible that, 
you know, thinking about marketing historically, you used to have to pay pretty large ad space to, you know, run a TV commercial or print in magazine or a billboard, radio, you know, and now it's it's really free and it's in the palm of your hand and it's available for you every single moment of the day, unfortunately. Um, but it really allows you to be in control of the narrative, which is a really, I think, a really big positive for the, the ag industry on top of all the other positives I just listed. But it, you know, it puts us at the forefront. It allows you to put a voice to your story and share your story exactly how you want to. Um, and so I do think that tool, that social media has really been great um, for the ag industry. And it's been really great to see individual individuals within it kind of um, grasp it, utilize it, um, and really kind of like, you know, make the most of it. There was a presentation at a conference that was at last week, and it was talking about Gen Z and how they want to engage with media and social media and, mm-hmm. you know, that they that they want people that they can trust and actually podcasting and and this sort of informal comms and marketing offers the opportunity to do that, doesn't it? Because you get to know somebody through the sound of their voice or through how they talk and how they interact. And, you know, you get to know somebody's belief systems and then that becomes quite powerful in sort of drip, drip, drip reinforcement. What about negativity? Do you get any, any kickback at all, any negative stuff? Um, because, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people might be put off for example, going on social media, a lot of farmers might be put off going on social media for fear of like sort of getting getting kicked back. No, never, never gotten a negative comment on my network. <laughs> of course not. Um, no, I mean, we definitely do. I think um, dairy tends to get it a little bit worse maybe than some of the other sectors. And that's, you know, comparing obviously Natalie and I's track record as well as other farmers I know sharing online and other dairy farmers. Um, people have a lot of hate out there for dairy, unfortunately. Um, but no, I think overall, I mean, yes, I get them. Natalie gets them. But I think overall, it's more positive. Um, you know, sometimes I think some of those extremists can feel like the loudest like person in the room, but they are definitely not the most populist. Like there is a lot of just like every day, I always call them the movable middle that are just kind of food curious. They don't have necessarily like extreme viewpoints one way or another. They just want to learn more about their food. Um, And that's the overwhelming majority of the comments we get. Um, With that being said, you know, like one of the things that sharing online is you get to kind of set your own rules for your own page. So you get to decide what you do. You know, for a lot of years, I like blocked and deleted negative comments. I just didn't want to deal with it. It was just not in my mental capacity. Um, Now I kind of, you know, let them go. I just don't even really worry about them. Other times I've engaged with them, use them to kind of spark new ideas for new content. Uh, And so it kind of, you know, has varied over my years of sharing. Um, But really, it's a very small minority compared to all the other like comments, interactions I've had on social media. What about what goes down well with listeners? Um, what, What are the sort of things that they like you talking about? Yeah, I feel like, um, and as Tara mentioned, it has been fun that they kind of send in articles to us now. You know, at the beginning, we were kind of sourcing all the articles and topics to talk about, but now um, discos, as we call our listeners, um, they will send in quite a few articles. And so I think it's ones that are usually affecting the ag industry quite heavily. And so those are obviously being sent from people within the industry. They like to hear our voice and maybe have our platform bring awareness to different things that are kind of like affecting the industry heavily. And then I think it's just kind of fun out of the box ones that you wouldn't normally, um, you know, think of, you know, we talked about California is I'm trying to ban like a red dye. And I think that one went over well with like a lot of people that are outside of the industry. Um, we've talked about like uh, New York fashion week, you know, with uh, protesting leather, we've talked about, um, like heat wave affecting food or food, 
we've talked about um, like Arrowhead is trying to, you know, they're having issues drawing, bottling their water in California. So we cover a wide variety of things. And like um, we've mentioned a couple of times, it's usually just really trending in the space. And so I don't know, they, they enjoy that a farmer's voice can finally be added to it because it's usually written by a New York Times post of someone who is, you know, living in, living in Upper East Side and probably, you know, doesn't maybe have necessarily all the agriculture experience to lend their voice to it. Desperately trying to think if we can think of something as cool as discos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really fun to have that be. Uh, that was actually sent in by listeners. Obviously, disco is the first, like, what, five letters of the word discover. Um, but it has been fun. We've leaned into it. We've done some really fun photo shoots uh, that are very <laughs> disco ball themed. Um, and then our podcast cover art. If you are listening to this and you head over to our podcast, you will see our cover art is us sitting on a giant disco ball wall in cowboy hats and cowboy boots. So uh, we have just taken it and run with it. I am totally regretting the kite podcast now because (laughs) I want disco balls for our cover picture. I was going to say, do we dare ask our listeners to write in and say what they want themselves to be talked about? When the British public were asked to name a ship, we came up with Boaty McBoatface. I don't think we should ask them. (laughs) I was going to say, I am picturing Chris wearing, you know, cowboy hat, cowboy boots and sitting on a disco ball. And I think that could be a great addition to your guys' podcast if you guys need new cover art. I don't mind wearing anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all feeling a little bit. Um, oh. who, who am I thinking of? Who did the um, wrecking ball? Oh, Miley Cyrus. Oh, Miley Cyrus. Yes, everyone is welcome for that image. You're welcome. Yeah, let's. Let's let's move this on quickly. I think um, so. Just just in terms of what you've got going on in the podcast at the moment, what you've got coming up um, over the next sort of six months or so, uh, what um, what can your listeners look forward to? Yeah, so we actually, in addition to our podcast, have been filming a docu-series, and we're two episodes in, um, and we just got our final cut of our second episode that we are very proud of. Uh, We actually went out into the Montana wilderness and followed 10,000 sheep on sheep trail, moving them from winter pasture to summer pasture. It was quite the experience, and we had cameras following us the whole time. I had never camped outdoors uh, in a tent, and so um, it was quite entertaining, and we are submitting that to some film festivals and some different things, and we are looking looking to uh, launch that more in the next six months and and be able to go and, uh, you know, quote unquote, discover ag in different places and bring a real visual component to the podcast as, um, you know, kind of like a streaming platform option uh, to our podcast as well. We, we need to up our series. We so need to up our game on this podcast in luck. <laughs> I, mean, we really I think do. you guys are doing great. I want a docu-series. <laughs> Chris it's is getting all the ideas. <laughs> It's such an American word, but I want one now. I've heard it. Yeah, I've, I've never even heard of that word before now. It does feel like a very American thing to do, right? But Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. I'm just despairing at trying to cope with Chris's ego after he's done a guest appearance <laughs> on the Discover Ag. It's horrific that he's got a platform every week in the UK and if he can put international superstar on his bio. Well, what, what I've just been looking at some of the websites and some of the things. What, what you do is you bring glamour to agriculture. I don't think see there's any reason why Ben and I can't do that over here. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, Chris. Very true. The listeners yeah, need they... to know how to find you. Yeah, they do. 
How do they oh, find yeah. out more and how do they discover Ag Podcast? Yes, all of our podcast listeners, if you want to stay within the podcasting platform and jump over to our podcast, Discover Ag, um, very easy to find. Just discover and then Ag. And like Tara said, you will find a giant disco ball with two two women sitting on it waiting for you to just uh, listen in uh, to our conversations and, and discover Ag with us. So you can find us on Discover Ag um, in the podcasting platform. And then our social channels are our individual. So Tara, you can find her across, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, under Tara Vanderdusen. And then I am on all those platforms as well under Natalie Kaboric. Fantastic. Uh, that is it for today. That's it for the Cut Podcast today. A big thank you to our guests, Tara Vanderdusen, Natalie Kovrick, Chris Walkland, and our podcast producer, Becky Leach. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes for more information, including our podcast disclaimer. We'll be back with Will next week. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here. Great. I've got the the hand that feeds us website up. Yes, that is where you can find our first episode. You look at it, Becky. I want a hat like that. So you might be getting ideas of He's gonna have a long list of demands after we get off this call. I apologize. Honestly, I, I you, you look at the monster you've created now. We fed the beast. Oh, God. I want that hat. <laughs>